home. Well, let's jump into the message before we take too much of your time. I told Brother Treadway last week, I said, Brother Treadway, you let them out too early. I said, now when I preach long on Sunday morning, they're going to throw that in my face. That Brother Treadway could get the job done in a short amount of time. Why can't you? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. It was good to have the Treadways here last week. What a blessing it was. Uh, he'll be coming back and being with us in the fall. Looking forward to that. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, we're going to read verse number 1. And if you don't mind, let's stand together and stretch our legs in honor of the reading of God's Word. We won't be reading a lot, so allow you to stretch your legs one more time. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, look down to verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. I normally read a lot. This morning we're going to stop right there. I'm going to read it one more time. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. We're going to unwrap this verse this morning, but let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, I do thank you uh, for the privilege, and that's exactly what it is. It's a privilege to be in your house today, and not just uh, any one of the churches in our, our town, which is what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful to be a part of this one. I'm thankful to be in this place today amongst these people. I'm thankful, Father, for the spirit that's here today. Thank you, Father, Lord, for the ones that have already been saved this week and last week and even this morning. Thank you for starting our week off with that. And I hope we'll see many more saved this week and even today. Lord, for those of us that are saved, I pray that we'd be challenged today. Help us not leave here the same. I pray we leave here challenged. I pray we leave here changed. And I pray that the life we live tomorrow will reflect the work that you're going to do today. Lord, I pray you give me great grace. I don't have what is needed to say what needs to be said today, but I pray your Holy Spirit will make it clear. Lord, have mercy on us for what we're not. Help us, Lord, to be what you would have us to be, and I pray your will be done for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to jump right into it this morning if we could. It's important that I give you the context uh, of what we're be preaching about today because what we're reading about is Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. And what Paul is about to embark on is a very ambitious mission led by the Holy Spirit of God to go and to build and raise up a work of God in the midst of a very, very pagan culture, all right? Uh, when you study a little bit about the, the area of Corinth, you'll find that it was kind of a crossroads of the world. There's a lot of cultures going on here. Uh, there's a lot of philosophy going on here. A lot of commerce took place in the city of Corinth, uh, and it was a very pagan society. It's almost what you would call a melting pot. Uh, because they were this, this cultural center of that known area of the world at that time, there were all kinds of beliefs, there were all kinds of ideologies, religions, crossroads here, and there were all kinds of things that were taking place in the name of religion. Now, this is not necessarily the place that you would really want to go to build a church. Uh, it's not very popular to go and build a church that preaches and teaches truth in the midst of a culture that rejects truth. And I want you to notice this morning that's very similar to the world we're living in today. Paul is going to a Corinth, a very pagan culture, to raise up a church to preach truth where truth is being pushed away, and that's very similar to the area that we're living in today. You study a little bit about Corinth, you'll find out that immorality was very prevalent, and not only was it prevalent, it was accepted. Not only accepted in the world, but it was even accepted in the church. You read in Corinthians, you'll find out that immorality had made its way into the church. And these ideas, the Bible says, rather than being shunned, which, by the way, immorality should always be shunned. Why? Because God shuns it. And if you belong to God, you should shun it as well. You should not embrace immorality in the name of tolerance or to be accepted. And so Paul is going to preach at Corinth, raise up a church in a place where immorality is prevalent and injustice has been embraced. Now, this sounds like America, doesn't it? Immorality is very prevalent. Injustice has been embraced. And you keep on reading about this, you'll find out that religion and the religions of Corinth were designed around the desires of man. The religions that were prevalent in the place that Paul is going to build this church, those religions were designed by men with men in mind. Now, folks, I want you to know something today. If I was able to design my own religion, I would design it according to the things that I liked and things that were unoffensive to me, and that religion would be very powerless. You look at America today. I want you to notice all of the things, so many of the things that are done in the name of religion are powerless. Why? Because so much of our religion was written by us. Uh, we write a religion, as we preached two weeks ago, that was very convenient for us. And we live by a religion that we designed according to what is convenient for our lifestyle and what our fleshly desires are. And now Paul is about to go into this place and blow it up figuratively. 
Paul is about to go into this place, and Paul is about to raise up the banner of truth and a society that is going to utterly reject that. Now, here's what's wonderful. The bad news is I believe we're living in a Corinth ourselves. I'm thankful for our city, but I'm talking about our country. God raised up a work in his name under the banner of truth in the midst of a culture that rejected him. Now, that's the bad news. We are living in a Corinth today. And God has called us to build a work and to fly the banner of truth in a society that's ultimately going to reject that. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. If God could do it then, he can do it now. If God could do it at Corinth, if God could go to this melting pot of cultures and philosophies and religion, if God could send a man to that place to raise up a work in his name, can I tell you what God can do in our time? God can renew a work in the culture we're living in. Now you look around the room this morning, our theme for 2021 is renewal. I believe what's needed in our culture today is for the church to be renewed. I'm talking about the church of the true and living God, listen, that abides under the banner of truth. I believe if God could raise up a work then, God can renew one now. But here's the million-dollar question, how? How do we go about that? Every church in this world is taking a stab at how to build a work in the culture that we're living in. And trying to figure out exactly how God wants us to do this can be tricky because you have everybody wanting to give their opinion on how you're supposed to build a church. It's kind of like Will Rogers. I think I've told you this before. One of my favorite quotes by him years ago when the Allies were fighting the Nazis, we were having trouble with the U-boats, their submarines. And we were having trouble taking them out, detecting where they were, and they were just wreaking havoc on the navies of the Allies. One day, Will Rogers steps up and speaks to a general. He says, I think I have the answer for taking out the U-boats. He says, how? He says, boil the ocean. Boil the ocean. He says, well, well Mr. Rogers, I appreciate that idea, and I think that would probably work, but how do you, how do you suspect we're going to do that? He goes, look, I just came up with the idea. You've got to figure out how to do it. <laughs> now, folks, it's a good idea to build a church. It's a great idea. It's a good idea to have a church that stands on truth, but how do we do that? Well, the wonderful truth is we go to the Word of God, and we find that Paul had a formula. Paul had a formula. You read throughout Paul's writings, you're going to find several things that are consistent on how he raised up the work of God in the midst of a pagan culture. Now, I want you to notice verse number one. This is what we're going to stay at the entire message today. The Bible says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, watch this. I want to show you how Paul confronted the conflict that he faced in trying to do the will of God. Folks, can we go ahead and accept the fact today that as we seek to do the will of God in a pagan society, we're going to be confronted with conflict? Can we go ahead and accept that? The world's never going to embrace us. The world's never going to love us. Jesus says, in the world, ye will have tribulation. Why? Just because they don't like what we look like? No, they don't like who we are and what we stand for. That's the word of God on the matter. Now, folks, how do we raise up a work of God or renew the work of God in the midst of a culture that's going to reject that? Well, how did Paul do this? Watch closely. Here's the truth. I need you to write this down. He confronted circumstance with certainty. He confronted circumstance with certainty. Listen to, listen to me. You're going to go out there and try to do the will of God in your life. You're going to try to go out and do the will of God in your family's life. You're going to try to go out and do the will of God in the life of this church, and you're going to find that circumstances are going to try to push you back. Have you ever tried to live a godly life in your workplace? Maybe you're in college, or maybe you're in school. Hopefully not our school, but maybe you're in a, another school, and you've tried to take a stand for Christ, and all of a sudden the circumstances conflict with who God's called you to be. And those circumstances want you to back down from being who God's called you to be and doing what God's called you to do. Now, here's the sad truth. Most people allow circumstances to shape their stance. We allow what the world tells us we should do and who the world tells us we should be, we allow them to determine that rather than live by the certainty of what thus saith the Lord. Now, how did Paul do what Paul did in the midst of circumstances that were very inhospitable? Here's his way. He did it with certainty. Understand this. The things he wasn't sure about were overshadowed by the things he was sure about. Now, let me tell you today, if there's any, any time in my life where things have been uncertain, it's now. I mean, last year, of which we will not call its name, the unspeakable year, Last year, oh my goodness, everything was up in the air and uncertain. 
And now we're going to this year and we still have some uncertainty. How do we live and how do we function in the face of all of this uncertain circumstance? We confront that with certainty and we find that in the Word of God. You know, in my job, and I hate to call it a job, it's a calling, but in my job as a pastorate, it's not always the most popular of career choices. By the way, it wasn't a career choice. It's what God called me to do. And sometimes when I'm doing what God's called me to do, people don't like it. I wish all of you liked me all the time. I wish some of you would just smile right now. Some of you already have that bless me if you can look on your face, and I haven't even gotten started yet, all right? It's all right to smile every once in a while. And I don't like it when people don't smile. I don't like it when people sit back there and look at me like, what are you talking about, man? I don't like that. By the way, Jeremiah the prophet had the same problem. That's why God says, be not afraid of their faces. Sometimes your faces are scary. Some of you are just born that way, but some of you choose to be that way. All right? Smile, your face is not going to break. It's okay. It's not easy sometimes to be a pastor when this person doesn't like what you say and this person's mad because you did this. Look, it's okay. It's part of the job. I understand that. I accept that. It's okay. But I'll tell you something what makes it good. I go home and I know I've got a wife that's going to smile at me most of the time. And I've got a daughter that's going to give me a hug. And all of a sudden, look, the two people that love me and I know are going to love me all the time, the two people that I'm certain are on my side, they make up for all the other people that I'm not sure if they're on my side yet. You see, what I'm certain about overshadows what I'm not certain about. And if you just get certain about a few things this morning, I assure you all the uncircumstances of the world we're living in would grow strangely dim if you were certain about some of the things that Paul was certain about. Now, what was he certain about? We're going to look at three things this morning, not surprisingly. Try to keep it in threes. Here's what I want you to understand before we get into the message today. Your certainty must be greater than your circumstance if you're going to have success. Your certainty has got to be greater than your circumstances. Why? Because your circumstances are going to try your certainty. And unless your certainty is stronger than your circumstances, guess what wins? Circumstance. You've got to be certain about some things. So this morning, we're going to look at the subject of certainty for our circumstance. And let's look at what Paul was certain about. Verse number one. Notice the first word. The Bible says Paul. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I have a tendency to skip over the meaningless words to get to the spiritual meat, right? Right? Are we all guilty about that? We like to skip over some of these words that really don't have a whole lot of meaning to them. And Paul, okay, we know who you are. We're going to skip on down and get really to the meat of the verse. But you know, I believe this book, every word in it is inspired. I believe that every word that is in this book, God wanted in this book. We believe in verbal plenary inspiration, which means that God breathed every word. God didn't say, Paul, I want you to write about the church, figure it out, put in there what you want. No, God gave Paul exactly what he wanted in this book, and God wanted him to use the word Paul. It's there because God wanted it there. So I don't think we need to skip over it. I want you to notice just about every book that Paul writes in the New Testament, he begins with that word, Paul. Now, why is it significant? Well, that's the first thing you need to be certain about. Number one, he was certain about who he was. Paul was certain about who he was. Now, some of you have already lost. You're thinking, well, you think just because I know my name that that's going to help me uh, make a stand for Christ in the world we're living in? Just stick with me for a moment. Oftentimes when I'm leading someone to Christ or trying to lead someone to Christ, I will often share with them that salvation is a no-so salvation, okay? Yesterday I walked out of Dollar General. Uh, there my two targets were. They're in front of the Coke machine. And uh, sometimes you just, you just got to go do it, amen? God puts it on your heart. Go talk to them and walked up again and talked to this nice gentleman and this nice lady and uh, asked them about their, uh, about their church attendance. They had a church. I wanted to invite them to come to church with me. And they said, what church you go to? And I explained to them what church I went to. And then I'm segueing in, you know, uh, Brother Treadway's plan, 13 steps, kind of going down through there. And uh, then I asked him, I said, well, let me ask you a question. Before you go right quick, if you died right now, are you sure you'd go to heaven? The guy says, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I says, well, how do you know? He began to share with me how he knew that he was saved. And, buddy, he knew he was saved. He says, I have a no-so salvation. Aren't you glad today you can have a no-so salvation? 1 John 5, 13, the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. God wants you to know some things, okay? The world is confused, and the world says everything is fluid, but God says, I want you to know where you're going when you die. Now watch this. I often will tell people when I lead them to the Lord, God wants you to know that you're saved like you know your name. You know, I know what my name is. My name is Jeremiah Scott Bradford Andrews. Uh, I learned the alphabet by learning my name. <laughs> Mom liked Jeremiah. 
My sister liked Scott. Good to see y'all here this morning. Glad to have them back. Feeling better. Uh, my dad's middle name is Bradford, and Andrews just came with a job. And so I have this long name, you know. Nobody else has my name. And, you know, you could not convince me this morning that my name's Larry. You won't do it. You can't convince me my name is Robert. You can't con- convince me this morning that my name is Nate. Why? I know my name. I know who I am, and you're not going to convince me otherwise. Now, look, it may not be the coolest name in the world. You know, Jeremiah is not a name that strikes fear in the people's hearts. You don't think about, you know, Jeremiah the tough or Jeremiah the rough. I was talking to Axel at our school the other day. What an awesome name is Axel. I mean, I, I just think muscles right off the bat, Axel. You know, Axel the tough, Axel the brave, Axel the mighty. Jeremiah the librarian, Jeremiah the janitor. You know, it's not a tough name. Look, uh, it's not a name that strikes fear into people's hearts, but it's my name. And I know that's my name. And there's nothing you can say or do that's going to change the fact of who I know that I am. There's nothing you can do to convince me that my name is any different. Now, watch this. God wants you to know who you are. God wants you to know who you are. Why? Because if you know who you are, the world will never be able to convince you that you're not. Watch this. Here's the reason so many Christians fold under pressure and wilt under the heat of persecution is because they get out there into the world and the world tells them who they are and they don't know who they are so they just believe the world. And they agree with the world. Now watch this. Why is this so significant? Turn back to Acts 9. I want to show you this. Turn back to Acts chapter number 9. That's to your left, probably where the pages are stuck together. Acts chapter number 9. Let's look down if we could. This is about when the Apostle Paul is about to get saved. Now watch verse number 4 of Acts 9. He's on the road to Damascus. The bright line shines from heaven. Verse 4, the Bible says, He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Notice these are red letters. This is Jesus speaking. So watch this. Christ identifies him as Saul. You keep on reading, he continues to call him Saul. But then read over, if you will, turn to Acts chapter number 13. Acts chapter number 13, I want to show you something else. After Paul gets saved, God calls him to be a preacher to the Gentiles. Look down to verse number 9 of Acts 13. Then Saul, watch parentheses, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. Now, from this point in Acts 13, Saul is now known as Paul. Watch, God identifies him as something different than he was originally. He called him Saul, and now, watch this, this is his book, and he's choosing to call him Paul. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because God is choosing who Paul is going to be known as. This is very important. I read a lot of commentary this week on people uh, trying to give some hypothesis on why exactly God changed his name from Saul to Paul, and they gave all of these reasoning, but you know, the Bible's really not clear on why his name was changed, and if the Bible's not clear on it, then we can't be clear on it either, right? The rest is just opinion and hypothesis, but here's one thing we are sure of. God wanted him known as something different. Why? Because when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God calls him Paul. And God says, I want you to be known as something different. Now, this is why it's important. His identity was decided by God. Now, the reason that so many of us today get out there in the world, try to do the will of God, and get back down by our circumstances is because we refuse to accept the identity of what who God says we're supposed to be. God gets to define who you and I are. It's not up to us to decide what our character is going to be. What did he say in Matthew 5? Ye are the light of the world. Ye are the salt of the earth. It's not like saying you are if you want to be. Hey, you are if you feel like it. You are if the world will accept that. Hey, if the world doesn't mind, you are the light of the world. If the world doesn't care, you are the salt of the earth. No, no, no. He didn't say that. He says, listen, I bought you with a price. No, you're not. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. God bought my identity. And God gets to decide who I am. And watch this. I am who God says I am, whether I agree with it or not. So how do you know who you're supposed to be? I go to this book. This is the manual on who I'm supposed to be. That's why it's kind of important you read your Bible. I had a preacher one time. We were in Bible college. We had to get up and preach these three-minute sermons, tortured. You have to do that. You walk in the door, Brother Heath, you know, and they give you this slip of paper with with a very discreet scripture on it out of Lamentations. You know, one of the begats or something. You got to get in there and read this stuff, and you're like, what on earth does this mean? 
And uh, so this guy gets up to preach. I won't call his name because he might be watching today, and I don't want to offend him. But he, he gets up there to preach, and uh, all of a sudden, he has, he has some notes in his Bible from a sermon that he had printed off. So rather than preach the paper they gave him, he just started reading off the sermon that he had printed off the Internet. I mean, hey, just go for broke. And he did. And as he's reading it, he goes, man, this is some pretty good stuff. While he's preaching, he's up there preaching and going and reading down the line. He says, man, this is some pretty good stuff. You'd be amazed. There's some pretty good stuff in here if you just read it. You want to know who you're supposed to be? Get in the book that was written by the one who owns us, who bought and paid for us, and tells us who he wants to be. Why is it important that you know who you are? Well, it's important you know who you are, because if you know who you are, then you know who you're not. Let that sink in. If you know who you are, you know who you're not. I see so many Christian young people. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and boy, my heart is still kind of with young people a little bit. And we lived at a youth camp, got to know a lot of young people, and I watch these young people, and man, as soon as they, they get grown and gone, they get out of church, and they, and they go right back with a lifestyle that's dictated by the circumstances of the world. They go, what's wrong? Look, why do you act like them? Why do you look like them? Why do you talk like them? Why do you want to be like them? Look, that's not who we're called to be. The Bible says come out from among them and be separate. We're not supposed to be them. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that he called us. By the way, thank God he called us out of that stuff. The Bible says we're supposed to be separate. Why? This is who God says we're supposed to be. Watch. Why was Paul able to hold up under such circumstances that would have backed most of us down? He knew who he was. He says, I'm Paul. So why are you Paul? Because that's who God says I am. He called me Saul back in Acts chapter number 9, but Acts chapter 13, he started calling me Paul. So whatever God calls me, that's who I am. And can I tell you this morning, whoever God calls you and I, that's who we are. We don't get to pick and choose our Christian character. Here's what's interesting. I love this. You'll notice that his new name reflected his new identity. His new name reflected his new identity. So what do you mean? Well, Saul is a Hebrew word. Saul is a Hebrew name, all right? That's who Paul was. Now watch, in Acts 13, what did it say? He's called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles, all right? He said, I'm calling you to these people. And watch, Paul is a Gentile name. It's a Roman name. And so now what he is known for is reflective of the identity that God has now given him. Can I ask you something this morning? Is what you are known for, does it reflect the identity of who God's called you to be? Do you know we're supposed to be known for the things of what God's called us to be. We're salt and we're light. You know what that is? That's influence. God's called us to be influence. Does our life reflect who God has called us to be? He even gave him a name that reflected what he had called him to do. Acts 9.15, it said this, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. His new name reflected his new identity. Here's the sad thing. Churches today, because preachers are scared, won't preach Christian identity anymore. We're scared. We're scared. Why? Because people leave the pews or the chairs. He said, well, people are not going to like that. They're not going to come back. Listen, I'd rather them hear who we're supposed to be one time and have something to go out there and stand against the devil with than to come here and to be comforted in their sin and go out there and lose it all because we didn't tell them the truth. All right? Our people need to know who they're supposed to be. Look, it's not fun. I preached the message one time, no joke. I preached the message one time, knelt behind the pulpit and preached for about two minutes. Why? Because I didn't want to see anybody's face with what I was about to say because I knew they weren't going to like it. Smile. Keep smiling, all right? Some of you, you, you lost it. Get it back up, all right? At least pretend. You do it for other people. Do it for me. Folks, listen to me. It's not easy to preach the truth of who God says we're supposed to be, but who God says we're supposed to be, that's who we're supposed to be. Look, and if I don't tell you the truth, I don't love you. All right? As a pastor, it's my job to share truth with you. And the truth is, we don't belong to the world anymore. We have a new name and a new character. And our identity and our activity should reflect our new character that God has given us. He says, my name is Paul. Paul was certain about who he was. I thought about several years ago. I was not part of this era. It was back in the olden days of the 70s when uh, some of you might remember this. You were Saints fans. I was born in 1980, January the 4th, 1980. I barely slipped in. Missed out on the bell bottoms, the bad hairdos, and all of that bad music that was packed in. Good night. And you remember the saints? They were known as what? The ain'ts. Yeah, some of you, yeah, you just showed your age. They were known as the ain'ts, and they had the brown bags over their head. They're sitting there in the stands. 
You know, the saints weren't doing very well and they had the brown bags of their head with the holes cut in them and they called them the ain'ts. What were they doing? They're putting a bag over their head. They did not want to be identified with their own team. But it was. They're like, we're here, we paid money to get in, but I don't want that camera to pan over and my friends to know that I'm an Aints fan. And so they put the bag over their head. How sad is that? I mean, look, man up. Man up. If you're a fan, be a fan, all right? No matter what team it is, be a fan. Even if it's the Cowboys, be a fan, all right? Just stand up for them. Brother Brent did it. You know, it wasn't popular, but he did it. But I thought to myself last night, how many of us put the world's bag over our head? We don't want to be associated with who we are. I don't want people to know who I am. I don't want people to know that I'm one of those people that got saved, who got brought out of sin, out of the miry clay. I don't want people to know that I'm one of those people. How sad is that? That he was willing to send his son down from heaven to live and to die on a cross that we could be saved, and we don't want to be identified with that? Look, you saved my life, you're my best friend. Brother Thomas Laird. Uh, saved my life, scuba dive. I told you the story many times. A hundred feet down, I ran out of air, spear fishing off the coast of Pensacola, and I made it over to Timothy's brother, uh, and he let me buddy breathe with him. Saved my life. Yeah, brother Thomas Laird called and asked me to cut his grass. You can tell you something. I'd go out there and cut it with a butter knife. Man, saved my life. Now he's an old Miss fan. If he asked me to be an old Miss fan, I don't know what I'm going to do then. You know, because I got to have a line somewhere. Rebellion's a sin of witchcraft. I don't know if I could pull for a rebel, but anyway. Guy saved my life. Did you come cut my grass? Absolutely. Hey, would you, would you, he asked me, I was going to Colorado hunting on an elk hunt. He says, uh, he said, hey, y'all have an extra spot on that elk hunt? I said, I'll make a spot. I'll kick somebody off the group who didn't save my life. <laughs> I didn't have to. And guess who the one guy that killed an elk was? Thomas. I'm willing to do that for him. Why? What he did for me. I'm not ashamed of what he did for me. He saved my life. And as much as I'm thankful for that, can I tell you there was one who left the wonders and splendor of heaven. He came down, he lived on this sinful earth, was despised by men, rejected by men, arrested. He was persecuted, he was tortured, he was crucified. All for me. There's no way. There's no way that I'm going to hide my association with him. I want you to know I'm living now for the one that died for me. He gave his life for me. I'm not ashamed of him. I want you to be ashamed of somebody that saved your soul. And yet we do that. We put that, that bag over our head, that bag of worldliness. Why? Because we don't want to be associated with who we are. I think it's sad. So number one, notice Paul says this. Paul. Now at the beginning of every epistle that he writes, he writes the name Paul. He knows who he is because that's who God says he is. And I'll tell you this. If you know who you are, you know who you're not. When you get out there in the world and circumstance starts beating, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Try to raise a godly family in 2021. Watch. You're going to get pushback. Listen, try to build a conservative church in the middle of 2020. You're going to get pushback. I even get pushback from preachers. I feel those bullets whiz by my head every once in a while. I, I'm not as stupid as some of you think I am. I get those subtle lobs over my head from time to time. I get it. It doesn't feel good, especially when it comes from within. But can I tell you something? There's someone who did something greater for me now, and there's someone who paid a great price that I could be saved this morning. I'm going to stand with him, even if it's unpopular. Why? Because I know who I am. He's told me who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the king. Notice verse 1, Paul. Then notice the second word, call. Not only did Paul know who he was, but the second word is repeated several times as Paul writes. Now, it's important to note that he says this at the very beginning. Paul says, not only do I know who I am, but I know why I'm here. He says, I'm called here. Look, coming to Corinth wasn't Paul's idea. All right? Look, if it's up to me, I was here years ago before I was a pastor here. I was here, and we had a missionary come speak here to Hawaii. Do you remember that? Missionary to Hawaii. And I'm thinking, yeah, I want that job. Raising money to go to Hawaii. I bet they get to preach in Hawaiian shirts. I mean, I'm rethinking my calling already. Maybe mission trip, mission trip. We need to go on a mission trip and help that missionary out just a little bit. You know, if our calling's up to us, we're not going to pick the places God wants for us. We're going to go to the easy places where people are going to like us and embrace us. But Paul says, look, I want you to know everything I'm about to tell you in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, all the way through, everything I'm about to tell you 
He said, because this is what I'm called to do. Number two, if you're going to face up to the circumstances of the society we're living in, and they're not going to like what we have to say and who we're called to be, you're going to have to be certain of why you're here. You're going to have to be certain of why you're here. Now, folks, look, none of us like pushback. I really don't. I don't like rejection. I've told you that many times before. I don't like confrontation. I don't like it when people don't like what I have to say. You know what that makes us want to do? We want to avoid those situations. We want to go around them, drive around the storm. We don't want to drive through the storm. We don't want to go through the valley. And yet Paul is about to walk into a hornet's nest of unpopularity. Paul is about to walk into the buzzsaw of rejection. And yet he continues on. Why? Because he's certain of the fact that he's called. Remember this. Paul's certainty in his calling overshadowed the certainty of his conflict. The certainty of what he was called to do overshadowed the certainty of conflict. Can I tell you one thing I am sure of in 2021? I am sure there is going to be conflict in the life of a Christian. I'm certain of that. I'm certain there's going to be conflict and troubles and trials. I'm certain of that. Why? Jesus himself says, in the world, ye shall have tribulation. All right? Don't take it personal. It's not you. It's God they don't like. Kind of makes it feel a little better, doesn't it? It's not me. He says, look, they don't hate you because of you. They hate you because of me. That's why the world doesn't accept us and like us being who God's called us to be. So I'm certain there's going to be conflict. But how do you get people to walk right into conflict? How do you get people, like on the beaches of Normandy, to stand off, to to walk off of those landing crafts into gunfire? I'll tell you why. They were certain about what they were called to do. All right? Look, that enemy was certain they were going to try to push back and stop them. But thank God for the American soldier who stood on those landing crafts. And when those doors opened up, they charged right into conflict. Why? They were certain what they were called to do. They said, hey, our calling is greater than that conflict. Bring it on. And they walked right into it. Now, folks, can I tell you, there are spiritual bullets going to be flying at you when you try to do the will of God for your life. Uh, Sad thing is, I wish I could tell new converts that life's going to be easy and exciting as a Christian. It's going to be just, you know, the primrose lane. and Look, you're just going to be skipping and whistling all the time. Oh, no. You're going to get punched in the mouth. You go out there and try to do the will of God. You're going to get punched in the mouth. How do you go into certain conflict? Well, you have a certain calling. Paul was certain. He says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, what is a calling? A calling is why you're here. A calling is why you're here. Now, watch this. A lot of times we think preachers and pastors and and, and folks, missionaries, we think, okay, those are the people that are called. No, every one of us has a calling. At the very least, every one of us has the general calling of the great commission of God. We are here to win the lost to Christ, Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. That's why we're here. We have a general calling. But by the way, every one of you have a specific calling on your life. That calling is why you're here. I remember I've told you this before when I was 15 and came home and told my dad that I surrendered to preach. My mom's crying and excited and my dad just kind of, you know, somebody had to bring some gravity to the situation. Dad says, I'm excited about that, but we need to make sure you're called. You know, you go to youth camps and youth conferences, you get your spirit stirred, you're excited, and everybody wants to be a missionary and go serve God. And the sad thing is, all those people aren't going to be with you when you're alone. All right, so you better make sure it's a call of God before you surrender to it. There's a difference in a burden and a call. I told someone the other day, I preached in Africa, in the deepest, darkest jungles and, and deserts and savannah of Uganda, Africa. And I'm burdened about those folks, but I'll tell you something, I'm not called there. I'm not called there. So how do you know? Well, God's the one who gives us what our calling is, and God didn't call me there. I'm burdened, but I'm not called. You see, there's a difference. My dad says, son, he says, you need to know that that's what God's calling you to do because of this. Two things I have never forgotten, and I have told two people this this week. A calling will get you there, and a calling will keep you there. A calling will keep you there. I remember back in 2004, I was walking down a dirt road with a beautiful lady here on the front row, which is my wife, in case you don't know that. We were engaged to be married, and I was doing my dead-level best to talk her out of it. I really was. I was preaching 10 years before we already got married, and I said, look, I want you to know, uh, I can't promise you, you know, nice car, nice house. I can't promise you all that. I was trying to let you know it might be tough. There may be struggles, and I don't know. It had to be God. She says she surrendered to marry me. I believe that. It had to be a call of God for her to marry me. She felt sorry or something like that because I couldn't talk her out of it. 
A few years after we were married, God called us to go pastor our first church, a little small church in the country. And, uh, you know, you think because you're a pastor's kid that you've got this pastoring thing figured out until you get punched in the mouth, literally and figuratively sometimes. And, man, things were tough. There were some tough days. People getting mad at me, tough day. Boy, I made somebody mad. I don't try to make people mad. Can we just go ahead and establish that I'm a nice guy? All right? Hey, thank you, Brother Gary. I appreciate that. At least one of you think that I'm nice. Other of you, I just appreciate a smile every once in a while. Man, you get out there trying to serve God, do what God says. And, man, I had a clash with a church member. He got mad at me. I walked out on the platform the next Sunday morning. There's a giant hole over here where 15 people were that weren't there anymore. <laughs> I was gutted. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to quit. Fine. Fine. I'm going back to construction and making good money. And, you know, instead of sitting here fighting with you about doing the will of God. But you know what kept me there? I was called there. A few years later, our church had grown. God had blessed. I mean, boy, we saw God do great things at our church. And I remember one night I went to my wife. We were riding home from Louisiana, and I said, something's going on in here. I'm not sure what it is. She says, do you think God's calling us away? I said, yeah. Nothing was wrong. All the people that didn't like me had left. There's, there's a silver lining there. I said, I think God's calling us away. She said, Where God's, where's God calling us? I said, I don't know. I just know God says, I'm done here. And the Lord blessed our church. We'd hired a youth pastor, and man, he was doing a great job. And uh, we had packed out the church, largest crowd the church ever had, had people in the aisles and chairs. The Lord had just blessed. Things were going well. And God says, you're done. You're done. She says, where are we going to go? I said, I don't know. She says, where are we going to live? I don't know. Where are you going to work? I don't know. I said, where are you going to work? No. <laughs> I said, I don't know. I said, all that I know is God's calling us away. So I did what an evangelist told me not to do. Well-known independent Baptist evangelist says, you don't step down. Never found that in scripture. He says, you don't step down. Well, I stepped down from a pastor to go become a church member at my dad's church, became a song leader and a bus driver at my dad's church. Why? Because that's what God called me to do. Did a little construction on the side, hauled a little paper wood on the side, did what we had to do. Why? Because that's what God called us to do. A few years later, God called us to move to Louisiana to build Bayou Baptist Church. We lived in that camper trailer, worked for the garbage company. Oh, we had some tough days. Tough days. But you know what kept us there? It's a calling. God called me there. And then God uproots us and moves us to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And then the unspoken year happens. The unspeakable year. I told somebody the other day, I says, if I wasn't called here, I wouldn't still be here. Why? Because circumstance has been rough. There have been times you just hold on to the side of the boat and ride it out. But you see, that's what a calling will do for you. It'll keep you here. You know a calling will keep you in this church when somebody gets mad at you? If this is where God has called you to be, you don't just pick a church because you like a church. You pick a church because that's where God wants you to go. Because you're a piece of that body that God wants to serve. When God calls you to a church, look, you'll be there even when people look at you crossways like some of you are looking at me right now. I'm going to be back here preaching tonight if I don't die, even though some of you still haven't smiled. Why? Because I'm called here. This is where God wants me. And a calling will get you there, and a calling will keep you there, even in years like we had last year. I'll tell you this. The only certainty you're going to have in your calling is God's calling. You're not going to have certainty in your calling. Go ahead and go do what you want to do. Be where you want to be and be what you want to be, but you're never going to have certainty. Why? Because that's your calling. Certainty only comes with God's calling. And I assure you this, when God calls you to do something, God will make sure you have what you need to do that something. Think about Esther. Esther sitting back. She knows her people are about to be annihilated. And Mordecai comes and he says, hey, you need to look around. This is why you're here. You're here for such a time as this. And finally, all of a sudden, a light bulb came on. This is what I'm called to do. And what did Esther do? She just busted up into the king's palace with certainty. Why? Because she had her calling. This is why I'm here. Why did David run down to face Goliath? He was outmatched. 
He's just a kid. He's a ruddy youth, the Bible says, and yet he's a champion from his youth. This guy was just a monster. Why could David run down with certainty? Because he asked this question, is there not a cause? He said, this is why I'm here. David was looking for a good fight when he found that one. And buddy, he found a good one. And he ran to meet Goliath. Look, a lot of us would have been hiding behind trees on the way down, you know, hiding behind rocks, ducking and covering, hoping that maybe a bolt of lightning is going to take him out before you get there. David runs to meet him and picks up five rocks. I mean, he was planning on reloading. <laughs> you think about that? He wasn't just going to hit him once. He was going to hit him five times. How do you have that kind of certainty? You know that's your cause. And you know that's your calling of why God left you here. Number two. If you want to have certainty as you face the circumstances, you need to be certain of why you're here. And you need to know the will of God for your life. I'll give you this before I give you the last one. John 18, we read about Christ standing before Pilate. Now, you want to talk about unfavorable circumstances. Here's the king of glory standing before a mortal, just a mortal man who thinks that he's got all the power in the world. And he's grilling Christ. He's grilling Christ. Who are you? Are you God? Say that you're God if you are. And what did Christ tell him? Listen close. In the midst of all of those conf all that conflict, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world. How did Christ just push right through that conflict? The circumstances were horrific. There was a garden waiting on him where the weight of the world's about to be put on him. The Bible says that he would sweat as drops of blood, talking about circumstances that are tough, and yet he just plowed through the garden. How? He was certain of what he was called to do. For this cause came I into the world. I assure you, when you're certain about your calling, you can move into the face of conflict. Finally, notice what he says here in verse 1. Paul, he knew who he was. He was called. He knew why he was here. It says, to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Now, focus in on that. He says, to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So he was certain about who he was. God decided that. He was certain of why he was here. He knew God had called him. Acts chapter 9, we see that happen. And finally, he's facing the circumstances before him because he knew who the God was that was behind him. It says here, by the will of God, number three, and we're done. He was certain of who he served. He was certain of who he served. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever had a good idea? A lot of you wives are saying, no, he hasn't. But every once in a while, us men will get a good idea, won't we? You ever had a good idea, and you start pursuing that good idea? Man, it's a great idea. I guess I had this idea, and your wife says, are you sure? Oh, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure. It's a really good idea. Just watch, just watch, just watch. And so you go, about halfway through that good idea, you start wondering, whose idea was this? Because you had this really good idea, and you thought this was going to work, I would love to talk with you after the service and think about what you're thinking right now because some of you have looks on your face like, yeah, been there. And a lot of your wives are looking at you like, yeah, he's been there. Good idea. Man, I just had this great idea. We're going to do this. And oh, it's going to turn out so well. And halfway through that good idea, you're like, whose idea was this? Why? Because it's not working out. Can I tell you, Corinth was not Paul's idea. It was God's. It was God's. Now, remember this. There's an old phrase we've used many, many times before, and it's true. Where God guides, God provides, Right? Where God guides, God provides. That means God always will cover his ideas. And when it's God's ideas, he stands behind you to make sure that the idea is going to be fulfilled. God has never written a check that is bounced. Aren't you glad? I've written a few of those. I told you before, before I got married, I didn't keep a ledger. The way that I knew that I didn't have any money left in the bank was I got this nice little card from the bank. They were so kind to send me these reminders, tell me I was overdrawn. They only charged me $35 for that extra little piece of paper. I didn't keep up with that stuff. I was a young guy. I made really good money. I didn't mind. Okay, I'm out of money. Put some more money in there and got married. And my wife says, that's evidently not the way that you do things. I bounced a few checks in my time before I got married. What was a bounce check? It's when you write one out for something and the resources are not there to cover it. All right, some of you have never bounced a check. I can look at your face and tell. Yeah, that's what it's called, a bounce check. When you try to do something or you attempt to get something or have something and you don't have the resources to back that up, you know, God's never bounced a check. When God calls you to do something, he's always going to make sure you have the resources to do that. Now watch this. Do you know what that does for you and I? It gives us certainty that God's called us to move forward in 2021. Are you serious? 
God still wants us to raise up a church in the middle of a pagan culture? Yep. God still wants us to be salt and light? Yep. God still wants to train up our children the way they should go from their old, they won't depart from it? Yep. Matter of fact, now more than ever. How are we supposed to do that? With certainty that God's going to give you what you need to do what he's called you to do. Paul had certainty. Why? Because he knew he was called. And the Bible says, watch, watch the end of this passage right here. Called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. You see, where God guides, God always provides. Someone put it this way. Joy is that deep, settled confidence that God is in control of every area of my life. Now let that sink in for a moment. Joy is that deep, settled confidence that God is in control of every area of my life. You don't have to worry when it's God's idea. Sometimes I have ideas, and my wife will say, are you sure? I'm, by the way, I'm thankful for a wonderful wife who always says it so nicely and sweetly and kindly. Are you sure? Well, I'm not always sure about my ideas, but God's always sure about his. If you set out to do the will of God, look, you can go with certainty. Why? Because of whose will it is. It's the will of God. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, one of my favorite, favorite all-time quotes, God's will done God's way will never lack God's supply. God's will done God's way will never lack God's supply. But the key to that verse is God's will. God's will. We were walking around the building yesterday looking at some of the ceiling tiles that have gotten wet. I think after the storm we had had a little bit of uh, some leaks come through. And we're talking about the roof at our church in Louisiana of how we got to this church and God gave us the property. And the property was, was, was a nice property on the highway, but man, there was a hole in the roof that we had a garbage can under and a sump pump out the window because it would fill up a 40-gallon garbage can in two hours. And we got a roof estimate. It was $52,000 to repair that roof. We just started this church. I still work for the garbage company. I made $300 a week working for the garbage company. We didn't have $52,000 to repair that roof. So I told our people, I said, you know what? It's God's will this church be here. We know that. We know that we're called here. It is the will of God. We know who we serve. You know what? I think God could afford a $52,000 roof. Let's just pray about it. You have not because you ask not. Let's just pray about it. I said, let's pray for one month. We're going to take up an offering, and we're going to try to get the roof paid for. So we prayed for a month. Had about 25, 30 people at the time. Uh, after the month, we prayed about it, took up the offering. We had $10,800. And that's great for a group of 25, 30 people, but not 52,000. Not long after that, I witnessed into a guy and talking about our roof in the same conversation. He says, hey, I have a buddy. Call him out there. Let him come out there and look at your roof. So our buddy came out here, and he came out and looked at our roof, walked around and said, you have hail damage all over your roof. I says, I know, but that was the old church that was here. We have a new policy. And he says, let me see the policy. So I pulled out the policy, and he held up the policy side by side, the old church and the new church. And he says, there's something amazing here. He says, you know, when you change the policy, you change the name, but you never change the policy number. I said, well, look, I'm sorry, I didn't know. He goes, no, that's a really good thing. He said, because you've been a policy holder for 25 years, and you've never filed a claim, you might be able to get five dollars to $10,000 out of this. I said, hey, that'd be great. He goes up on the roof, walks around. While I'm sitting in the room with him, I'm meeting with the roofer, and the roofer says, you know, my dad was a Baptist preacher. He says, you remind me of my dad. He says, my dad was on his way to preach a youth meeting on a Wednesday night many, many years ago and was in a head-on collision and killed him. He said, you remind me of my dad. Here's what I want to do. I want to take $10,000 off of the price of the roof. I said, great. So now we're down to $42,000. Our people had given $10,000. Now the roof was $42,000. We're getting closer, but we're still not there yet. Guy comes off the roof, he lays a check on my desk. He says, look, we ran it through the computer, and this is what the computer says. He says, here's a check for $52,000 for your roof. I says, well, really? Like, can I cash this? It's legit? You're not joking with me? He says, yeah, it's real. So I went to our people, and I says, look. Now, I did something a Baptist preacher is never supposed to do, but God said do it, so I did it. God says, give the people back their money. I said, are you sure about that? He said, yeah, I'm sure. He was sure. It was his idea. He was sure. And so I called the secretary. I said, get all the checks out of the safe, put them in green envelope, little green envelopes within our church. And I said, and we're going to give them out during Sunday school. I told the people what happened and gave them their checks back. I said, I showed them a picture of the check. God gave us the money for our roof. I said, here's the money back. By the end of that service, all $10,800 was back in the offering plate again. They said, no, we gave that to God. It's still God's to use as he wanted. And then we got our roof. We remodeled our sanctuary. We got a new kitchen in our church. And it didn't cost us a dime. Do you know why? Because we're God guides, God supplies. And God provides. Folks, if we just got about the will of God, we would find more certainty in our service. I was certain about God going to work. Why? Because God called us there. And what we were doing is called the will of God, and God always makes sure that he provides for what he calls. Just ask Abraham. I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, up on that mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him. 
Eliza looks up at dad and he says, dad, he says, look, there's a fire, there's a wood, but where's the lamb? And he says, God will provide. God will provide for what he called. And lo and behold, there was that ram in the thicket. I'll bet you after that day, Abraham served with certainty like never before. Why? Because he knew whose will he was doing. And when you're doing the will of God, God's way, you'll never lack God's supply. Now, can I ask you this morning, do you have that kind of certainty in your service? Are you willing to walk in the midst of conflict in the face of spiritual gunfire to do the will of God simply because you know that's what God's called you to do? I know that I can know my name. He's made it clear that this is what he wants me to do. And in spite of the circumstances, I have certainty why. Number one, I know who I am. Do you know who you are this morning? Say, yes, here's my name. No, do you know who God says you're supposed to be? Because if you're not being who God's called you to be, you're going to find it's tough to live the Christian life out there. Number two, do you know what you're called to do? Are you doing the will of God for your life? No wonder you don't have certainty. You're doing your will. You'll never have certainty doing your will. You'll only have certainty doing God's will. And then do you know who you're serving? David ran down to meet Goliath. Why? He says, because I'm serving him who's way bigger than you. And even though the circumstances were scary, his God was bigger. Folks, this morning, do you have certainty? You're going to need it. You need to know who you are, why you're here, and you need to know who you serve. And that all begins this morning with a relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ because if you don't know him, then you can't know his providence and you can't know his power. Do you know for sure if you died this morning, you're going to heaven? Do you have that nailed down? Oh, once you know him, then you can know his power. And then you can know his providence. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning. Let's stand to our feet. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As our pianist and song leader come, can I ask you this morning, do you have certainty that heaven's your home? Do you know for sure if you died right now, you're on your way to heaven? Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross at Calvary? If you've trusted in him, then you have certainty in who you're called to be. You can have certainty in why you're called here. And you can have certainty in who you're serving. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning, Lord, that we serve a God that gives us great confidence to be who we're called to be and to do what we're called to do. Father, it's going to be difficult moving ahead in the world we're living in today to raise godly children, to build godly homes, and to remain a godly church. But Father, I believe with all of my heart, based on your word, that we can move forward in the midst of conflict because we can have confidence and certainty in who our Savior is and what he's called us to do. Help us today, Father. If we haven't got our salvation nailed down, I pray they'd come down this morning and trust you before it's too late. And then for your children today, Father, help us to reflect whether or not we are living by who you've called us to be. And we're doing what you've called us to do and serving the one you've called us to serve. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed this morning.